You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Thank you guys for that. I appreciate that. It stokes my uh, self-confidence whenever I get up to preach and you guys clap for me. Um, like Tony said, my name is Riley and I get the, the honor of working with the youth here at LifePoint. And um, Facebook just reminded me the other day of our first youth event in August 1st of 2018 and it was showing me the pictures that were taken of all the, the little kids that are not so little anymore, um, of my little waistline that's not so little anymore. Um, and it was just a, a sweet reminder from the Lord of, of how he's been so faithful th- throughout the last five years in the youth ministry. And, and um, one way that he, he proved that this last year is that the number of kids in that first meeting we just increased by that number um, with the sixth graders coming to the youth group this next year. And um, it's an honor to work with the youth, so thank you for letting me uh, do that. Um, another thing I want to highlight to us before I dive into our message is that um, we as a church are invited to participate in this event with churches around the, the city in, in late August, August uh, 25 and 26 in an event called We Heart Ames, where we can just love on our city with no strings attached. We can be friends with our city. Um, Registration and openings for that event are opening tomorrow, and there should be an email being sent out. But it's just a great way for us to step out, love our city, partner with other churches that love Jesus, and and be a blessing. So that's going to range from events where we pass out coffee to uh, washing cars to doing small projects, something that um, each of us could do. and I'm excited about that. That's the first year we're going to partner with that. And um, so just keep an eye out for that. Um, it's going to be a good time. Um, today, I want to share with you guys a message that I, I feel like the Lord has been placing on my heart. And it's uh, something that I haven't always been uh, super um, natural with or good about. And that is called, we're going to be talking about sharing the gospel. Um, and some of you might be uncomfortable by that, especially the introverted people like me in the room, but um, sharing the gospel is is a crucial part to the Christian life. When we don't live life outwardly focused, we become like a body of water that has no outlet. We become stale and we become stagnant and we become stinky and we're no fun to be around. And um, Pastor Alex was excitedly talking about this idea with me this last week. He's like, uh, showing, sharing with me exactly how the Dead Sea works and why it's called the Dead Sea, and it's because of this. The Jordan River pumps all this water into the Dead Sea, but there's no, nowhere for the water to go. So the water evaporates and it leaves behind all the minerals and, and good stuff into the water, and that creates an environment that no life can survive in. And um, sometimes that can be a problem in the church. We can be spiritually fed and and poured into, but if we don't have an outlet, we do become spiritually stale and stagnant. And I have experienced that. And it's kind of a weird thing. You're like, I'm going to church, I'm plugged in, but why do I feel so off? Why do I feel stale? And it's because I didn't have an outlet to express the love of Jesus to the people outside the walls of the church, that I wasn't stepping out in that way anyway. And um, when we do that, we are robbing ourselves of the joy and the excitement that God is inviting us into as followers of Christ. 
We need an outlet in our lives if we want to be infused with living water. You know, and I understand that sharing the gospel can be intimidating sometimes. We can doubt our abilities to, to take on such an important uh, task, to, to, to carry such weighty words maybe. But a guy by the name of Leith Anderson tries to simplify what outreach looks like. And sometimes we just need to simplify it in our brains. The simple definition of evangelism is those who know telling those who don't. So it's a piece of cake, right? We're gonna tackle that this morning. And it, to, today I want to make sure that we all feel equipped to share the gospel. Um, and the question I want us to focus on and lean into is, do I know enough to share the gospel? Do you know enough to share the gospel? Because the gospel is beautifully simple, right? Beautifully simple. But there are crucial parts of it that we need to know and get right if we want to share the true gospel that sets people free and gives people life and gives people joy. So we're, to do that, we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 2. So if you guys have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Um, at youth group this last year, we were tackling whole chunks out of the... Uh, whole chapters out of the book of Genesis. Um, so I'm just going to give you guys a little, little taste of what we normally do uh, and give you 10 chapters, or 10, 10 verses, <laughs> 10 verses, 10 chapters would take a while. Ephesians. So Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and we're just going to take a little snippet of what he was taking to, talking to the Ephesians about. And we're going to use that as a framework for how we can share the gospel more effectively. Um, and we're gonna break that down into three points. So um, let's pray, and I'm gonna dive into Ephesians chapter two. God, I thank you for the scripture. I thank you for your goodness and your love. I thank you for the good news of what Jesus did for us. I thank you. Uh, that you're here with us. Holy Spirit, I pray that this scripture would come alive to us and that you would teach us the way that we need to be taught. Uh, we just invite you as we dive into scripture in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in, um, in the hearts of those who re refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the, the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because he, we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse eight, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for that. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. 
for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 10 powerful and beautiful verses. And they show us exactly what's happening, happening within the salvation process, right? So we're gonna use those verses and we're going to break them down into three points that we need to know to share the gospel. And the first point is this. Sin is bad. Sin is bad. And I hope that that doesn't blow anybody's mind. I would like to assume that we are all on the same page when it comes to sin being bad. Uh, but the reality is that I can't make that assumption. And, and the, the church that I grew up in as a, a child is actually splitting and fighting over this very issue today, which is very sad. But the truth is that sin is bad. And if we're going to share the good news with people, which the gospel is, we need to point them to freedom from sin and not acceptance of sin. You know, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we need to just focus on sin and that be the only thing that we talk about, that we shame people for sin or dehumanize people for sin. It said in those verses in Ephesians that there's something in our human nature that has a tendency to lean into sin, right? But we do need to acknowledge that sin is separating us from the life that God has called us to. And that sin leads to death. It says in verse one that we were dead because of our sin. We're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. You know, and sometimes I feel like people can view life contrary to that point. That maybe we start this life as um, spiritually neutral and we get a scorecard we add pluses and minuses based off of the good things that we've done or the bad things that we've done. And then by the end of our life, we turn in our scorecard and that determines whether we make it to heaven or hell, right? But Ephesians says that our starting point was spiritual death, that we had all experienced sin and because of that sin, it caused us to be spiritually dead. And maybe you're here and you think, how in the world is that fair? I don't really sin that much. I might lie sometimes, lust sometimes, get drunk sometimes, but I'm not the worst person out there. I'm not a drug dealer or a, a prostitute or a murderer. How can I be on the same standing as them before God? And I feel like Charles Spurgeon illustrated this point really well, even though it is a little morbid, when he said, we were all dead and yet we were all, not all like one another. Death may be universal over a number of bodies, and yet those bodies may look very different. The dead that lie on the battlefield, rotting and corrupting in the sun, what a horrible sight. Compared to your departed loved one lying in the coffin, how beautiful. The corpse looks like life still, yet it is your beloved one in the coffin as dead as the mangled bodies on the battlefield. Corruption has not yet done its work and tender care has guarded the body from what will surely come to it. Yet there is complete death in the one case as well as in the other. So what he's saying there is that no matter what our lives looked like before we encountered Jesus, dead is dead. We're just as dead as the worst sinner we could think of. 
We need to know that any kind of sin puts us to death and it separates us from our God-given purpose, it separates us from life, and it separates us from a relationship with a loving creator who, who cannot and he will not tolerate sin. And the fact that we can realize that though is that we are spiritually dead, that we've fallen short, that we're lacking is actually God's grace on our lives. But if we stop there, that leaves us with a big problem, right? We've all sinned and that causes spiritual death and dead people cannot do anything to bring themselves back to life. So what does that mean for us? Luckily for us, we have a God that does something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And that leads up to the second point that we need to know to share the gospel. The first is that sin is bad. And the second point is this, that only God saves. That only God saves, which is really good news. God has made a way for us to be raised to life from our spiritual death. We were dead and we were subject to God's anger because of our sin, but God gives us life that there was no hope to save ourselves, but with God, anything is possible. So why did he do this for us? Why did God choose to save us? It says in Ephesians that God is rich in mercy. It says that he loves us so much that despite the fact that we were dead in our disobedience, God made a way to give us life. God this, did this not because he had to do this or he was obligated to do this, but because he loves us that much. And we need to recognize the amount of love that that takes for God to extend towards us. So how does God save us? Did he just forget our sins and call it good? No, God was very intentional about how he accomplished this. He didn't just forget our sins, but he paid for the consequence of each and every one of our sins. And he did that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And something that we need to be on the same page about when it comes to Jesus and his ability to accomplish this is the fact that Jesus is God. That he's completely God. That he's a part of the Holy Trinity. One God made up of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That he is completely and totally God. And... Um, the devil likes to try to trick people and use this as a tactic to, to get people to believe that he is lesser than what he normally is, that, he, that what he truly is. And people might say, or maybe you've heard people say things like, I believe that Jesus was a man that taught good things, but I don't think I can believe that he's God. It's a little too crazy for me. You know, maybe we've believed that, maybe other people have believed that, um, but we cannot view Jesus this way. Jesus was not created and he has no end. And through him, all things were created and apart from him, we have no way to life with God. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified on a cross. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. He was ascended into heaven and he currently sits at the right hand of the father waiting to return again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is God. And we were able to be raised to life because of what Jesus did for us. He lived a, a perfect life on earth, free of sin, something that we could not do. 
He was tempted in every way that we are, but yet he still did not give in to temptation. And then he gave his life as a sacrifice for the sins that we committed against him. First Peter one says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in the last days, he has been revealed for your sake. The consequence of sin is death. And God did not ignore that consequence, but he paid for it fully with the blood of Jesus. And we need to remember that we cannot save ourselves. We try to all the time. We try to save ourselves and make ourselves look better. And we might turn to things like uh, different religious philosophies or pleasure seeking or self-help or whatever idol we wanna turn to besides Jesus. And for me, I was stuck in the mindset of trying to do enough religious, religious works to save myself. Attending church or youth group consistently listening to Christian radio, being judgmental about other people's sins while pretending like I didn't have any sin, thinking that uh, if I was truly saved, eventually I would never sin again and I would act perfectly. And that led to a lot of insecurity in my standing before God. Feeling like I might as well give into the ways of the world because I was never going to be good enough. But God in his mercy and his love saved me and he raised me to new life in Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that we cannot save ourselves. It is only through God's grace and undeserved favor that we are saved. And this means that we can have security in our salvation because Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to save us in spite of our weaknesses. Our part is to respond to the thing Uh, respond to this truth by following Jesus with our lives. To turn from living for ourselves in sin and to turn to living life in relationship with God and allowing his grace to sustain us each and every day. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, we also need to acknowledge in our hearts that only God saves. We cannot save anyone on our own. No matter how good we are at, at sharing and talking with people, we cannot save without God. Only God saves. And Billy Graham, he shared the gospel all over the world, very famous evangelist, and he saw people respond to the gospel all the time. But he knows this this point to be true. And he said, prayer is crucial in evangelism. Only God can change the heart of someone who is in rebellion against him. And no matter how logical our arguments or how fervent our appeals, our words will accomplish nothing unless God's spirit prepares the way. So we need to rely on God because only God can save. He can only, he's the only one that can save us and he's the only one that can save our family and our friends and the people in this city. So the first thing we need to know to share the gospel is that sin is bad. The second is that only God saves. And the third thing that you need to know is your own story. Your own story, your testimony. So what is the story that God has given you? How has God changed you? How has God opened your eyes for your need, to, your need for him? How has he brought you from spiritually dead to alive? 
One of the greatest tools that we have in our disposal when we share the gospel is our testimony of God's love in our own lives. We need to remind ourselves of all that he's done in our lives and we need to, to be ready to tell others about what God has done in our lives as well. And we see this throughout scripture all the time. It's a very biblical practice that we do need to implement in our lives. In Mark chapter five, Jesus casts out a whole legion of demons that are tormenting a man. He sets them free and he heals them. And then he tells this man, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he told them. Another story of the Samaritan woman at the well, a story I'm sure most of you are familiar with. She leaves her encounter with Jesus and, she said, and it says that the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And Paul illustrates the power of the gospel in Titus 3, 3 through 7, when he says, Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were, led, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed that his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit, he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Each of us that have been saved have a testimony of God intersecting our lives. And again, my story was trying to earn salvation through religious works. And this caused me to be prideful caused me to be hateful towards other people because for whatever reason, in my mind, I had decided that I was further along than other people and that, that somehow merited that. And the reality though, was that I was someone stuck in sexual sin, just struggling and, 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 and being um, destroyed by it. But I was, I was deciding that I was going to pretend like I wasn't struggling with it, that eventually I'd figure it out on my own that I'd fill other people in and how I did that on my own. I was someone that was stuck in depression and struggled finding meaning and purpose in anything that I was doing. And I was somebody that would uh, say that things didn't bother me and then I'd allow a whole bunch of unforgiveness and bitterness to well up towards people that said things to me. I felt trapped and I had a complete misunderstanding of who God was. But then God broke through in my life and he showed me the great love and mercy he was offering me. He showed me how severe, secure my salvation could be if I placed my faith in Jesus instead of trying to justify myself. He started setting me free from sin as I started confessing it to others. He started setting me free from bitterness and, and unforgiveness as he showed me how much forgiveness he was offering me. And he gave me purpose as he showed me that I was created in the image of God and that he had created good things for me to do with him. When we share our personal testimony and invites other people to come and see Jesus exactly where they're actually at. 
It doesn't matter how unexciting we might think our testimony is. The reality is that we were dead and now we are alive. And no matter how you try and talk yourself out of that, that is a miraculous thing and that's worth sharing with other people. And the thing is that God isn't going to force us to do anything. So we need to be intentional with stepping into the good things that he has prepared for us. And one of those good things is sharing the gospel with those around us. And that doesn't have to look exactly the same for everybody. We all have different talents and abilities and giftings and leanings. And we can share the gospel within those, um, those gifts. But we do need to all start sharing the gospel somewhere. We need to take that first step. We need to do our part and step out and share the gospel and then we need to rely on God that he's going to fulfill his part and do what only he can do. We share the gospel because it is worth sharing and not because it's easy to share. And you know, sometimes I have shared the gospel and it was the easiest thing in the world for whatever reason, you know, because God showed up in their life. And, and they, they, they encounter Jesus in that moment and there's real change and it's joyous and it's fun. And there are people in my life that I've been praying for for over 10 years and God is slowly chipping away at their hearts but there's, they're still not responding fully to who Jesus is. We don't get to de- determine the results but we are responsible to care enough to share. And again, another Charles Spurgeon quote. He provided some encouragement in this area by saying, Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.